Welcome to the EMS on the Mountain podcast, a show for those interested in austere and wilderness medicine. This podcast provides insight into the unique aspects and challenges of bringing modern EMS into wilderness and austere environments. And there it is, another episode coming straight to you by EMS on the Mountain. And stuff. Hell yeah. <laughs> and stuff. And things. this episode's called Fuck Around and Find Out. <laughs> or for the later. Oh, this is so good already. So yep. for, for the rest of you, this will be discussing snake bites. Hence Michael's apt description of, yeah, don't do that. Yeah, uh, don't do that. Yeah. So for most of us here, especially in North America, spring is fully underwear. Underwear. Underway. <laughs> that stays. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, my it's friend. Underway. And please wear more than underwear. <laughs> or don't. Or don't. Whatever. I mean, hey, it's, it's the humidity peaks. You got to breathe. All right. So, as with the lack of underwear, snakes are beginning more active. <laughs> just, just for the record, we're both completely sober right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's been one of those days. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, so yes. anyway. Snake bites. With so it's spring out and spring, spring. sprung. So uh, don't get bit by a snake. End of episode. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much it. So for those of us that work in that wilderness EMS environment, we should all know better at this point. So yeah. So right now we're going to talk a little bit of brief overview. This is not going to be an in-depth lecture on envenomation, different types of snakes, the etymology and all that other stuff that goes into this. If you guys want to nerd out on that, by all means, please do. I'm not the dude for that. We're going to give you just general best practices. And I have one caveat here. This applies to those of us, essentially North America, US, Canada. Things change when you go south of the border here in the US, and things change very, very much when you get around the world to different regions out there, right? Africa, our friends in Australia, they get some creepy, funky snakes as well. So this applies to those of us here in North America. For those who we do actually have listeners from around the world now, which is actually pretty cool. So thank you, folks. You guys got to get in with your local experts and do what is deemed best for the types of snakes that you guys are going to most commonly encounter. Most of this was pulled from the Wilderness Medical Society's clinical practice guidelines for dealing with snake envenomation or snake bites, at least. So if you want to read a little bit more on where that's going, go ahead and over to the Wilderness Medical Society and check it out. I do know that uh, they are supposed to be updating this with some new stuff. And if there's anything of significant value in that, we'll, uh, we'll bring that to you as well. So with that, we're going to kind of get into the meat of this. Michael, what's rule one? All right. Rule number one is, well, there's two rule numbers. So rule number zero is if you were fucking with a snake and it bit you, that is probably the best quintessential definition of fuck around and find out. And I hope whoever's providing care is kind enough to help you out of your situation because it's your own darn fault. And mommy taught us a long time ago, don't fuck with snakes. So don't mess with snakes. Rule number one is don't mess with snakes. Otherwise known as don't mess with snakes, just like you don't mess with snakes. So <laughs> if, yeah. if you violate rule number one and mess with snakes, you're probably getting what you deserve. And uh, yeah, I mean, now, in all seriousness, we still have to treat them. But of course. Don't mess with snakes. And, and I know, well, I doubt, but we might get a message or two from the snake people out there that are out there, the, the big lovers. Yes, we know you can handle snakes professionally and competently with very, very little risk of biting. However, 
Although I will tell you, like statistically, the number of people that get bit by a snake at some point, if they have a pet snake, is like way higher than people that don't have snakes and don't fuck with them. Yeah. So weird, yeah. right? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, we have a patient who violates rule one, messes with a snake, or they simply got unlucky because sometimes people just get unlucky in the woods and happen to get bit. You guys got to remember that every patient is unique. There is not one single approach. It's a universal standard of care for every single patient, right? You're going to have to treat each patient as they come based on their presentation. And I put in here for our little notes, the old EMS cliche, if you will, at this point, treat the patient, not the monitor, right? Mm -hmm. So don't be obsessed about looking at numbers and my God, that was a rattlesnake. You're going to die. You're probably going to lose your arm now. Things like that, right? Treat the patient as you find them and as they evolve. Uh, because there's a chance that it was a, a dry bite and there was not any envenomation. But if you go right to, well, we're going to get down to the myths, but if you go right to electrocution, trying to uh, neutralize the venom, and as we get at the end of the show, no, please don't do that. You took a step too far, right? And if this is, uh, you're not too familiar with the snakes in your area, or you're not sure exactly maybe what did bite them, consult with your local hospitals. I know there are a couple of hospitals in our area that where the, uh, the folks who specialize in not just snakes, but all the different types of things that bite and sting are located. And they have independent hotline numbers that you can call. You can text them or send them messages with pictures of the snake or offending critter. And they can tell you definitively, hey, this is most likely going to be this. And this is what your treatment modalities are going to be. You can also contact poison control if necessary. And I would say, you know, this is more applicable on that side to your lay responders out there. For those of us on the EMS side, especially those who practice wilderness EMS, these are some fundamentals that you should probably already know. All right. Michael, would you like to talk to us a little bit about the uh, snake characteristics we find most common here? Yeah. So North America in general, again, I'll, I'll add the caveat, this this be the North America's. Pit vipers, they've got what I'll call high high pressure venom glands. Uh, pit vipers are usually pretty quick to, uh, to bite you. This includes things like rattlesnakes, cottonmouths, copperheads. They're not going to strike to strike, but they're going to strike if they feel threatened or if they get startled. And that's typically when we see snake bites from cottonmouths. Rattlesnakes, as the name indicates, will rattle at you. But they, they tend to strike not out of an aggression, but out of either fear or being startled. So pit vipers, then I didn't know this actually, they, they're known to contain more than 100 different proteins that produce toxic effects. That's a lot of protein. Like yeah. that's some like I've been lifting heavy and trying to get swole level of protein. There's, but seriously, it's a bunch of different proteins. They can vary greatly. There's various different toxic compounds. They're all generally handled by the same anti-venom. If you need anti-venom, I know the industry is moving away from just slinging anti-venom one, because it's expensive and two, because it's not, it ain't what I'll call gentle on the body. Oftentimes now, once you get to a, a definitive care facility, they will monitor you before they administer anti-venom to see if you will, if the effects and the, the amount of toxin you received is, is degrading over time and you're getting better or stabilizing as opposed to just back in the day, they used to just sling the anti-venom like, oh, you got bit, here you go, whack. But it's about a, what is it, about $1,000 a dose? And it's pretty expensive. It's difficult to manufacture, so. Yeah, well, and, and then back in the day, Back of the day, one of the original variants of the of the antivenin was made with a, a certain animal protein. We're not going to get mm -hmm. deep into this, but they found that people were having pretty severe allergic reactions to it, and so they had to switch that up. The new stuff that's out there, nobody, I, got, I hope nobody's got the old stuff anymore, right? Uh, is a lot more, a little more gentle, 
but it's still one of those you're you're putting a lot of crazy stuff into there and usually it's you don't get like a single dose of the anti-venom you're getting several yeah uh, at that point and like mike said yeah it's like they're not just going to just oh you got bit by a snake here let's start giving you this they're definitely treating the patient piece again it's it's going back to that treat the patient you have not the one that you think you have in that book or whatever right mm-hmm. yep that's exactly it here's a few numbers this is just uh pull these right out of the wellness medical society's practice guideline right Snake bites are estimated to result in as many as 9,000 emergency department visits annually in the United States. Depending on who you are, that may or may not seem like a very large number, considering the chances of an accidental encounter with a snake resulting in a possible bite. That's actually pretty high, right? That's pretty high. I mean, that's 25 a day, right? And you got to assume that it's not even. Like in the winter, there's less snake bites than, say, spring and summer. So, yeah, that's, you know, you can have 50, 60 snake bites a day nationwide. That's yeah. a lot. Right. Yeah. So that's actually pretty good. So, so of course, the venomous species account for about one third of those. So that's uh, what that's saying is not every snake that bites a person is necessarily venomous. Mm-hmm. But this is definitely, I would say, the erring on the side of caution. If you can't definitively identify what the snake is, assume it is poisonous and go see the doctor. Right. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, of that one third, almost every one of those is a pit viper. We do technically have coral snakes in the United States. And again, I'm not the expert, but as I understand it, because their mouths are pretty tiny, it takes a bit more effort for them to get in there and bite and envenomate peoples, which is why we don't see a whole lot of coral snake envenomations in the U.S. Not to say it doesn't happen, because it certainly does, but it's not nearly as prevalent as the pit vipers. Um, it's less common, as it were. Yes, was. considerably. Yeah. So, good news here, snake bite fatalities, usually averaging anywhere from five to seven a year. Sweet. So if you think about 9,000 people visiting, and maybe seven of them die, I mean, you don't want to be one of the seven, obviously. Yeah, that N of one sucks. Right? <laughs> but on average, you're in a pretty good spot. Right. So and that's just, uh, as you as a provider, perhaps doing some educational work, the chances of dying from a snake bite, even if you get envenomated by a rattlesnake, is usually pretty low. A lot of times, those that five to seven, people get very large doses. They're small. They have some other comorbidities. Or... You could get super unlucky and where those veins made puncture happens to be into an actual vessel and you got direct into the bloodstream stuff. It's like a snake IV. Yeah. <laughs> snake IV. Oh, that could be a meme. I'm going to fork on that. That may be a t-shirt in the future someday. All right. So here we go back to Mike's big preachy point from earlier. Most envenomations occur during intentional interaction with a snake intentional interaction results in the most bites tell you man fuck around and find out what's that tell you don't mess with the snakes yeah don't mess with snakes and here's another surprising stat that most of you will find not so surprising most of those patients are males between 25 and 34 years old as i like to call it the age of hold my beer watch this (laughs) and tied directly to that is oddly enough most of these interactions are also associated with alcohol or drug intoxication and occur when people try to catch, kill, or otherwise interfere with a wild snake. So Mike's, uh, oh. Mike's, Mike's catchphrase of the month is pretty <laughs> apt for this episode. One of the reasons I picked it, but yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. sure, go ahead. Let's, let's test your hypothesis and see how that yeah. works out. Go ahead and uh, fuck with a snake and see what happens. Yeah. Yep. On that, Michael, can a dead snake still bite you? It actually can. Believe it or not, yes, it's a. If I recall correctly from my education, because I did not read the research you did for this episode, it's actually a basilar. Like a snake bite is a is a base neurological response. So even if the snake 
has quote unquote died, like the brain quit functioning, if there's any sort of neural activity, the snake can still bite. Yes. And so this is demonstrated and I've seen this firsthand in various training events of my life, you know, where they'll cut the head off the snake and they'll kind of poke at the face with a stick and watch that thing with its head cut off, still trying to bite the stick. Were you like 26 at the time? Um, most certainly. Definitely between <laughs> the ages of 25 and what is that, 34? 34. <laughs> and younger and a little yeah. older, right? But yep. it was de- demonstrating the fact that this does occur. Mm-hmm. So folks, okay, the rattlesnake was at your campground. You, you took your handy machete, you whacked the head off. Don't just go reaching for the little head of the snake because there's a chance that you can still be bitten. Now, obviously, if this is a bit desiccated and old and stiff, probably not. But still, before you go reaching for the face, use a little caution first, right? Also, stop cutting heads off of snakes for no apparent reason. Well, there's that too. Go read a book. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's something as a provider, a couple of things to keep in mind. Now, again, this is just generalities, not necessarily the hard and fast rules that some of us might think there are. Unintentional encounters usually occur in the lower extremities, right? This is this is the patient you're probably going to see who was out walking around, uh, stepped over the log before looking on the other side, found out it's where the rattlesnake was living or sunning itself. The snake it. got scared, exactly, and bit out and bit you on the ankle, right? And uh, on the opposite hand, opposite hand, which, yes, those who uh, intentionally try to mess with the snakes, hands and arms, and occasionally the face, right? So it's like you went reaching for the snake and the snake said, no, and it bit you. So yeah, now again, growing up in Colorado, when people be out climbing and doing even just scrambling around in the rocks was always the the dreaded story of you reach your hand up and there's the snake that's going to bite you as you reach your hand up into some little ledge that you can't see up into, which... I don't know how many times it's ever happened, but you can certainly get bit on the hand unintentionally as well, just because of something like that. You drop something, you reach down by that fallen log or into some rocks or something like that. And there was the snake again saying, no, go away. No step on snake. No snip on snake. But again, statistically, you're most, you're, you're really probably not going to have a problem unless you go poking at the snake with a stick. <laughs> and there's then a, there's a theme here, guys. There's a theme. Yeah, don't mess with snakes. All right. Okay. So I guess now we're going to get into a little bit more of the serious part and what I would now think. Now that we spent 15 minutes talking about what not to do. <laughs> yes. For the EMS clinicians or, you know, your wellness first aiders, wellness first responders, ski patrollers, whoever's out there in the woods providing care to these folks who get unlucky, field management. What are we actually going to do when we have a patient who we have good, strong suspicion of being bitten by a snake, whether you see physical evidence such as fang marks or the patient goes, I was bit by a snake. All right. So if you're actually on trail somewhere and you come across the person like, hey, I just got bit by a snake, question number one should be, cool, where's the snake? Right? This falls back to your national registry skill sheet of seeing safe. Okay. If the snake, they point at snake and say, it's right there. It's kind of like, cool, 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 cool. Let's take a few steps over here towards me. But I got bit. I know you can walk. Trust me. Come yeah, on. You'll be all right. Right. So. And if the look, answer is, it's in my cargo pocket. Um, <laughs> Snake's got to come out first for for the treatment occurs. Yeah, yeah. It's like, there's not a single pair of nitrile gloves I have that's thick enough for me to do that. And it's not that I'm afraid to touch on the snake, but they're not snake proof as far as bites. So yeah, you got to get the snake out of your own pocket or backpack or whatever it is you've done. You crazy, crazy man. You crazy kid. Yeah. All right. So if there's the snake nearby, remember, move your patient, not the snake, because that makes you messing with the snake. There's some interesting facts about how far a snake can leap 
based on its length and other stuff. Again, I'm not the expert. Here's my theory. That snake can jump twice as far as it is long. Is that true? Probably not. But in my mind, stay away from the snake. Does it matter? <laughs> right? I've seen snakes yeah. on a plane. Those things jump. <laughs> <laughs> so when possible, have your patient move away from the snake. Don't try to move the snake yourself. If there's a way you can safely kind of mark that part of the trail or area so other people walking by don't also get bit by the snake, do some, do some work if you can. But again, the key here is don't endanger yourself or your patient trying to get bitten again or yourself the first time. Second one, and I think this is the most challenging one I've seen uh, from the couple of patients that I've seen bitten by a snake, is try to keep your patient calm, right? It's, it just kind of goes into the general physiology. The heart rate gets up and they try to circulate venom faster. It's not as good for them. So mm -hmm. just try to keep them chilled. And again, you can cite some of those probably a bit dated at this point statistics. Like, hey, listen, there's thousands of these a year. Their chances of dying is less than 1%. You got this. Might even mention the dying part, you know, just like very, 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 very few people actually die from a snake bite. You're going to be fine. Let's just come on over here. Let's take care of this. All right. So try to keep your patients calm. Do your best. Some people are going to freak out more than others. If somebody's child gets bitten by a snake, parents are going to be a little harder to calm down. That kid might be cool. So yeah, deal with that. He got what he, he deserved if he was messing with a snake. I'm going to stop with the theme now, but <laughs> yeah, it's, it's true. I mean, I don't know if seven-year-olds poking at snakes really deserve to be bit. They're they a probably young don't. to learn. But, yeah, uh, you know, you're probably right. I'm, just, I'm a bad person. Yeah. Now, if you're 18 and you poke the snake, well, that's your fault. Yeah, you deserve it. All right. So here's, here's a big one. If it's possible, determine the type of snake involved. If it's got rattles and it shakes and it makes a rattle sound. And if you've never heard an actual rattlesnake not in the movies, it doesn't sound like a rattlesnake that you hear in the movies. It's, I don't know who invented that, but that's not a rattlesnake. Then it's a rattlesnake. If you're not sure if it was poisonous or not, do not attempt to kill the snake and bring it to the emergency department. You will stress out a lot of ED folks by saying, here, I brought the snake. They don't want the snake. Don't bring them the snake. If you can get a good picture of the snake, or if the patient or their family, bystander, friends, whatever, took a picture of the snake, a good picture is plenty, right? That'll, that'll help folks identify the specific species and determine poisonous, not poisonous, and if there are any other special concerns with the bite. Don't bring the snake to the ED. You will make nurses hate you. Yeah, I mean, uh, you can if you want to get yelled at. But. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome to, and they'll be like, cool, cool, cool. Take that outside, throw it away. I don't care where you brought it from. Yeah, go away. We don't like you. Yeah. yeah. And don't just drop that in the trash right here, please. <laughs> which I would totally do. Yeah, I know, which would be kind of fun, but all right. So you come on the scene, you got your patient. First things first, standard rapid, basic primary assessment, airway, breathing, circulation, right? Those are going to be your big three regardless. Depending on their reaction to the snake bite, airway and breathing could be a problem if they're having some sort of allergic reaction. So pay very much attention to that. Circulation, don't think so much blood loss as actual swelling and circulation around the point of injury. So once you've gotten that, I mean, that should not be anything different than you do for just about any trauma patient you come across. And I would say in generally general terms, treat this as a trauma patient, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to get your thorough secondary assessment. This is also where you're going to want to start trending your vital signs. You're going to get that first set of baseline vitals and you can expect it to be skewed because if somebody just got bit by a snake, their BP and their pulse might be a little bit elevated, but you want to start being able to trend. All right. This will be important later on down the road. Okay. Do a good assessment of where the, uh, they believe they were bit. Do you actually see positive signs of a bite? Not necessarily envenomation, but of a bite. Do you see actual two little holes from fang marks? 
If you don't, that doesn't necessarily mean they weren't bitten, but it was probably a lighter strike. Maybe it had to bite through boot, sock, etc. So there could still be an envenomation, but it could be minor. Don't don't just talk yourself into, oh, this is fine and let them go, right? You definitely want to do your due diligence here, but look for that. A swelling is a big piece depending on the snake bite and how bad they were bitten and the person's reaction. So just like with burns, right? Any jewelry, anything constrictive in and around that bite site needs to be taken off. So if they got bit on the hand, watches, rings, rings especially, right? Those are much harder to get off than a watch, right? So get those things off immediately, okay? Same thing if they have an anklet, right? Or, I mean, yeah. You 1997 know. called. They want their anklet back. Hey, <laughs> it happens, right? I'm just. I know saying, you. I know you still rings. wear them, Sean. Yeah. Hey, toe I'm, rings. Doing, I'm yeah. rocking my toe ring still. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> I don't even know why we still do this show. I don't either. So, if you see the point of the bite, you're going to want to take. If you want to be good about it, your hypoallergenic hospital grade little marker. I'm a sharpie man, or at least a ballpoint pen and mark out the outside edge of where you see any redness or swelling beginning. Kind of mark that out, delineate where that is, put a time on it. Because that's one of those things you're going to start trending to see how fast or not this swelling and the spread of the venom is going, right? And this will really help out EDs once they get there. This could be one of the help and one of the determining factors of are they going to get any anti-venom? Like if this thing is moving quick up the body, they might want to get ahead of it, all right? And just in general, time and date of the snake bite, you need to take note of that again, that especially the approximate time as close as you can get from your patient history is when it was actually, when the bite actually occurred, right? Again, that kind of goes into helping the docs track and trend as well. So make sure you do that. Some people say you can measure the circumference of the appendage, like around the ankle or wrist or something like to see if it's getting bigger and bigger. It's probably much more applicable to the hospital setting. I am not personally carrying any sort of cloth or flexible tape measure to do these measurements within the field. I mean, ironically, I forgot my seamstress tape at home. So, <laughs> If you want, you could probably take a, here's an initial picture. Here's an hour down trail, two hours down trail. So maybe visually you start looking through some pictures and you're like, oh, that's yeah, definitely getting bigger. If you have the means to measure it, you know, string with knots, whatever does yeah. it for you. I mean, you could be the webbing would be fine. Just make a mark on oh, the, yeah. the webbing See, over time. Yeah. Right. So that could be a technique, yep. something to think about. We've talked about, you know, why you want to do that for comparison later on and tracking potential swelling and the progress of the venom. So once we've identified that, what do you think we should do next, Mike? Oh, I mean, you, you want to treat it like a puncture. So you oh, look at that. Clean, dress, like, yeah. you know, put some gauze on that puppy if it's weeping. That's right. Cover it up. It's, it's a puncture at this point, right? There's, yep. there's, there's not a darn thing you can do about the venom that is or is not in that wound at this point. So now it's time to, uh, Look at that. But frankly, just uh, take them to the doctor place and treat it like a, a puncture, just like a pencil or a knife would cause. All right. So yeah, just like that. Clean it, dress it. You can immobilize it if you want to. There's differing thoughts on that. The immobilization piece, if possible, maintain the bite at the level of the heart. Uh, they used to say below, above. A lot of this, honestly, is kind of going to be out of our control, depending on how we have to evacuate the patient out of the woods. Right. If they're in a Stokes, cool. Yep. Everybody's horizontal. It's basically at the level of the heart. If they've got a ride out on a vehicle, a UTV, a horse, whatever you've got, or your back, you're going to piggyback them out. Maybe not. Maybe they got bit on the hand and you're going to try and walk a bit because that's going to be way faster than getting a Stokes crew moving and carrying them out. Do your best. One of the reasons with mobilization, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, is also you got to watch constricting 
again, just like we talked about removing anything constricting. So if you splint it, you got to keep an eye on that so that you don't start cutting off circulation as that wound area begins to swell. So that's what you got to watch with immobilization. But immobilizing it can be good for it, can help keep it stable, reduce a little bit of that perhaps pain associated with it. So it's something to consider as well. Uh, Tied directly with that is if you're going to immobilize something, keeping them in, in the position of function, right? So if you don't know what that is as an EMS provider, shame on you. Hmm. But, but mm-hmm. nobody has the uh, old school G.I. Joe karate grip, right? Straight karate knife hand. Everybody's got a little bit of a kung fu grip. So meaning if your hand starts to swell and everything else, you don't want it to swell and get become stiff and immobile in an unnatural position, right? You want to keep whatever right. it is, a knee, an ankle, a wrist, an elbow in their general flexed natural position just to help prevent any negative consequences down the road. For our ALS friends, non-sedating analgesia is generally preferred, right? So, which would mean don't, don't whack them with a heavy dose of the ketamine. Do what you got to do. I mean, there's no, it's not like that's probably going to be their end, right? No, yeah. but it's not ideal, right? You want to yeah. opiate, non-opiate sort of pain management, maybe not so much with the laying them out with the disassociative. Yeah. And so one of the reasons for that is also we got to keep an eye on airway because airway compromise is still a concern due to possible allergic reactions with the venom. So keeping, and again, hemodynamic stability, also something to consider, right? Depending on how that venom is reacting to them physiologically. So choose your pain management appropriately. With that, for my BLS friends and even myself, who's a big fan of this, aspirin and your non-steroidals, right? Your ibuprofen, et cetera. These mm-hmm. are generally contraindicated and it's because of their risks due to increased bleeding, bleeding, platelet dysfunction, et cetera, right? So you don't want to, not that aspirin thins the blood, right? But you don't want to help cause any sort of clotting dysfunction within your patient. You want to keep this venom moving as slowly as possible. You don't want to kind of like open the highway up for it. So they are generally contraindicated. This could be one of those things if you're not sure, get a hold of your med control, talk to them, talk to local docs about maybe the specific species that are primarily endemic to your region, and they can give you some better guidance on that, right? So they might be like, yeah, stay away from the aspirin, but yeah, sling Motrin, Tylenol all you want, probably not going to be an issue. And honestly, if those are available and those are acceptable, that's probably your best choice by trying to keep them on, the, uh, we'll call it the better opioid type analgesics, just yep. A, they can help a little bit with the swelling, which can help with the pain, but there's contraindications that depending on the paper you read with the swelling helping to slow some things, blah, blah, blah. So things to keep in mind. Again, we're not giving you the, this is 100% the rule and do this, but these are some things you need to consider, right? Follow your local protocols. Always. All right, Mike, here's my favorite part of this discussion. The All the myths and rumors around snake right. management, snake bite management. So... Um, Let's see if I can remain completely serious for this entire discussion. Chances are slim. Number one, right? And this is, if you've ever watched, if you're old enough and you've watched the old school Westerns, right? John Wayne and before all the good stuff out of the 40s and 50s, heck, probably even in the 60s and 70s, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Oral suction of the venom from the bite wound itself, whether you made a small incision or you just went at it. Here, let's just think of this logically, folks. If snake venom in your friend's ankle is bad, why would sucking it into your mouth be better? Oh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know, because then it's not in your friend's leg. That's right. Um, Nailed it. And for, for, for the EMS providers, you should have learned at this point that medication absorption through your mucous membranes is pretty fast, 
right? Think yep. Narcan up the nose. Okay? Yep. Versed up the nose on your seizing patients, right? Takes act, mm-hmm. takes action pretty quick. So pretty quick. Taking rattlesnake venom into your face hole is not a good idea. Let's think it is about that. what to use a medical term, Sean, is what we call contraindicated. <laughs> Touche, good sir. Touche. Um, yeah, it's just not the best move. Do not suck snake venom out. And for everybody else listening, no, the venom is not neutralized when it gets in contact with your saliva or stomach acids. Mm -mm. You've simply swallowed snake venom. Mm -hmm. Don't do that. It's pretty Uh, awesome stuff, though. Mechanical suction. All right, this is going to a specific device. I don't know if I should mention it. It Is that the snake sucker thing? Yeah, it might rhyme with the extractor, right? Mm -hmm. So basically, this thing's great if you want to pop zimps or pimples (laughs) or something with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But they have done... They've done a lot of studies with this device. Basically, it, it's a device you put over the top of the snake bites, and when you press the plunger, it creates a vacuum, and the theory is the vacuum will help suck out venom from the site of the wound. Mm-hmm. Um, on any of the studies they've ever done, they have never been able to get out any appreciable amount of venom, right? You might get a drop or two that's just kind of hanging at the surface that you could probably get just by squeezing it like a zit yourself when you're trying to clean it out. So no, these do not work. They're actual published papers about how poorly they do do. I've had people before after I've given this this class during wellness first aid training and stuff, they're like, oh, but I read this article once and the doc said if this guy didn't use the device, it probably would have killed him. Well, that just means that guy didn't actually become envenomated. It doesn't mean the device worked, right? They've actually literally studied these things, trying to reproduce any sort of measurable reversal of envenomation and it simply doesn't work, right? Mm-hmm. As, as EMS clinicians, particularly our ALS friends, think about this, right? If I just give you an intramuscular injection, how much of that do you think I'm going to get back out if I immediately apply some sort of basic suction device to it? And most of you are going to shake your heads and go, well, yeah, probably none. Yeah, that's correct, right? So the we'll call it a milligram of venom that a snake's going to put in you and you got back out 0.025 yeah. milligrams, micrograms. One microgram, yeah. It's like, good job. You're not saving a life. Don't, no. don't carry it. So those um, things don't work. Look, the reality is that the venom's in you. Yeah. And once it goes in, it ain't coming out. And lowering their anxiety levels and maintaining a, as much of a lower blood pressure as possible and a, a lower heart rate is the best thing you can do because you're not getting the venom out once it's gone in. Yeah, weird, right? And then the next one kind of ties back to the first one, right? Doing the, the old laceration. I think there might even be some old Boy Scout handbooks. I know I've seen this somewhere where you kind of like make an X incision over each mm-hmm. fang mark and you try to like squeeze and bleed it. And same thing, you're trying to force venom out. What, what you've done is just cut your friend and created a larger space for infection. So no. Um, Not the best. Electricity, electrotherapy. No, there is an anecdotal thing. Friend got bit by a snake. He accidentally was electrocuted. The friend didn't die. So electricity saved him. Again, this was, they've tested it. And it's like the theory being that the electricity somehow neutralizes the venom is no, just don't. And yeah, no hooking your friend up to a car battery going, I got this, right? Yeah. Bite this don't, dick. Don't hit, <laughs> put the paddles on people and hit, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, yes, but yeah, for my paramedic friends, no, no starting even at 100 joules. No, no, right? no it's not going to work. Don't try to pace them. They're good to go. Just get <laughs> yeah. them to the doctor place. Yeah. Exactly, right? And the same thing is for cryotherapy and cooling. The theory behind that is constricting the blood vessels and slowing the spread of the venom, which technically is true, but that ties also into tourniquets and pressure dressings. And again, 
tourniquets and pressure dressings applying only to pit viper bites. There are some studies that say pressure dressings, not tourniquets, pressure dressings. Pressure dressings. Can be beneficial for coral snakes and a few other different types of snake bites that are out there. We won't discuss that. That's just, that's outside of our realm and our scope for today's talk. But the cryotherapy cooling and tourniquet slash pressure bandages, right? Or a constricting band, whatever you want to call it. The thought was slowing the flow of the venom up the extremity to the heart and the rest of the, the body. Problem is, is if you do that, what you end up doing is concentrating all the venom in a very localized spot where it causes increased tissue damage, right? Often resulting in some pretty significant necrosis and docs have to go in and do a lot of crazy wound care with that. So medically speaking, as Mike put it earlier, the solution to the pollution was dilution, right? So you want the venom <laughs> to kind of <laughs> spread itself and thin itself as it goes, mm-hmm. right? It's not like, again, like if your snake gave you a two milligram bolus of venom, it's not like that full two milligrams is staying in a little ball and just traveling all the way up your vasculature until it hits your heart and then hits your brain, et cetera, right? It's getting diluted as it goes and you want that to happen, which is why pressure bandaging is appropriate for certain types of snakes and their venom, but not the pit vipers that we're most commonly seeing with the North American stuff, right? So right. stay away from that. Again, when in doubt, oh, was I supposed to tourniquet on this or pressure dressing? Maybe I, I heard something about coral snakes. If you don't know for certain, just don't do it. Evacuate your patient, your friend, whatever it is, take them to the yep. doctor place, let the magic happen in the hospital. But take them to the doctor place. Like they yeah. need to they need to go to the doctor place. Yeah. That that is with with most things we deal with pre-hospitally, that yeah. is the end all, right? That's the whole part of the definitive care piece, right? Yep. Transfer yep. of the patient to definitive care. Because there's a lot of good stuff we can do pre-hospitally, but we can't we can't do it all, right? So get them to the hospital, the docs, then there's a, there's a whole other side to this as far as treatment modalities in a hospital. A lot of it, as Mike mentioned earlier, comes down to the, we're going to monitor that patient. And if things mm-hmm. are looking okay and they're not getting significantly out of whack, they're probably going to hold off on pushing antivenom right away yeah. just because it, it's not always as effective as, as people think it is. It's not like, again, TV ruins medicine for most folks. Ah, it's not like you get an EpiPen auto-injector style thing of, snake antivenom and you're like oh he's gonna live now thank god it it doesn't work that way right you're still generally going to be pretty sick it's going to be a a slow painful process so it's it's not the instant cure that hollywood lets you think it is nope uh what Um, else you got with snakes mike well i mean i'd just like to remind everybody that that the rule of snakes is really fuck around and find out in general, you're going to run into, like in your career, you're going to run four or five people. I mean, unless you live near a snake habitat somewhere, you're probably going to run four or five snake bites. Most of them are going to be probably be people that were messing with a snake. For those that are walking around, we, uh, we may post a video. There's a video. I was on a rescue. What was it? Two years ago, Sean? Walking down the trail with another rescuer. And, oh, uh, yeah. A rattlesnake came right out the woods. <laughs> like Yeah, it did. Like. We were, I almost stepped on this snake. So it does happen. It can happen. Honestly, snake bites, like they hurt, right? Getting bit by a pissed off animal is not what I would call fun. It's not as bad <laughs> as running from the cops and having the fur missile stop you, but it's yeah. not a pleasant experience. Treat their pain. Uh, have some compassion. Ideally, we want them to keep their circulatory rate, you know, their, their, their pulse rate and their blood pressure down. We don't want to promote moving the venom around the body as quickly as possible. Take them to the doctor. That's really all there is to it, right? All yeah. the fancy wizard whiz bang stuff and all the all the urban legends and the suck it out and the cut the 
the bite and the put ice on it or squeeze it or pimp it like a pop it like a pimple or all that stuff. It doesn't work, right? They need to go to the hospital primarily for monitoring, right? Yeah. And then if it turns out they're real bad off, they're going to get some antivenom. And then they're going to have to spend a couple of days in the hospital getting monitored some more for all of the bad things that can happen from the antivenom on top of the snake bite. Yeah. But it's not, it, it is ironically in the, in the wilderness wilderness care arena, a lot of the woofer class, like we spend a lot of time caring about snake bites. The reality is like, it's a wound, right? You got your skin punctured and there's some, some bad stuff that went in there and we can't make it come out. So we got to take them to a place that can provide them better care if it turns out they have adverse effects from it. Yeah, I think you really hit on a good there. It's like, it's a puncture wound. After the snake is done, it, it's a puncture wound. And just mm-hmm. treat it like you would, yeah, like you stabbed yourself with a pencil, assuming the pencil was very toxic, right? So Yes, yeah, which um, technically lead pencils, they don't make them out of lead anymore. But true, graphite's not good for you either. Wow. Um, <laughs> all right, well. All right, so uh, I think that pretty well covers it. Uh, again, that was just a quick overview, a review of, of snake bites and basic field care. Again. Treat the patient as you find them, right? If they're not dying right in front of you, don't start preemptively doing crazy stuff. You know, you're an ALS provider. If you want to start an IV just to have access ready to go for maybe a sedative or some pain management later down the road, maybe some fluid stuff, who knows? By all means, right? But as we've talked about in this thing, clean it, dress it, immobilize it to the best of your ability, keep your patient calm and get them out to the doctor, right? It's as simple as that, folks. There's nothing magic about snake bites. Nothing magic about snake bites. It's all actually right. like BLS all day, son. Oh, yeah. Like it's it really BLS is. all day. Yeah. This is absolutely a BLS level kind of type of care because there's very few. Like I said, maybe you'll start a line. Maybe you'll provide some good pain management. But yeah, you're not fixing anything with the snake bite in the woods. So no. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think right. with that, I think that pretty well covers uh, our little uh, snake bite review. All right. Peace. If you have any questions or comments or ideas for show topics, you can send us an email at the show at emsonthemountain.com or hit us up on social media. We can be found on Facebook and Instagram at EMS on the Mountain, Twitter at EMSOTM, or you can engage with us and a whole community of wilderness EMS professionals at locals.com slash wilderness EMS. Until the next episode, thanks for joining us. And until we see you on the mountain, train hard. Be safe and do good work.